Welcome to the Biz Coach Show, brought to you by My Biz Coaches. Our show is focused on giving entrepreneurs the edge they need to succeed. Learn more at mybizcoaches.com. Your host is Eric Whitmore, owner of My Biz Coaches. Eric is a business coach, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. Eric is passionate about sharing his knowledge and insights with small business owners so they can transform their businesses and achieve peak success. Learn more at mybizcoaches.com. Well, Eric, great to be with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, David. How about yourself? Hey, I'm doing good, man. Appreciate you asking. And uh, I know we've got a fun episode planned today. Um, you know, oftentimes we talk about, you know, advice and tips for small business owners, but we're taking a little bit of a different approach to it. And today we're talking about five ways to ruin your business and then also how to avoid them, right? So kind of taking a different approach to it. And uh, I know you've got a lot of great insights lined up for our audience today. And uh, I think the first thing we're going to start with is really customers, right? Lifeblood of any business. And one of the first ways that you can ruin your business or one of the fastest ways to ruin your business is neglecting your customers or neglecting that customer experience. And really, that's a recipe for disaster. So Eric, maybe tell us a little bit more about that and how business owners can avoid neglecting that customer experience. Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny as you say this, and I'm thinking through even like current clients, previous clients. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, uh, yeah, there's, um, uh, yeah, I, I would be surprised. I mean, we spent, uh, I know you were pretty close to 20 years in retail, uh, you know, about half of that in training and then uh, a good portion of it anyway, you do retail as well. Uh, I've got 25 years of retail and it, it, it seems to me it would be second nature as far as, you know, what it takes to um, have a good customer experience, have your customer feel like they were treated well. Right. But we also had the gamut of different types of experiences, uh, you know, pe people that were, um, belligerent and i mean we had we had some really unique bad experiences as well with sure. with the oh, retail yeah. model but um my, my point is is that the as i think through it there's a more than i thought uh there, there are a number of clients uh or people that i've ex worked with experience that um don't know how to uh, give a good client experience yeah it's it's uh it's a little concerning um, you know, you know, a couple of things you, you kind of mentioned, you know, poor customer experience. What, what can that look like? Well, certainly not not hearing your customer, not not knowing what it is that they're looking for. Um, you know, the service based business, you know, we, we provide services. And, and one of the things that can be very obvious is that we have a tendency to not necessarily put ourselves in the client's shoes. Yeah. And say, OK, you know, what is it? What, what you know, I'm trying to solve this. I'm trying to offer this solution for the client, but I put myself in their shoes. And you might remember a couple, uh, maybe it have been last year, I think it was, uh, maybe a year, a little over a year ago, I told you about an experience I'd had and I was watching a video and, and saw some information. And I was just like, that's kind of a unique coaching style. Very, very interesting um, amount of inform interesting information, but the way it was being delivered was so yeah. poorly done. I was just like, how would anybody gain any insight from that coaching? Yeah. I mean, it was, I told you, it was like hand drawn yeah. on the right. And like, he's got a, uh, what do they call it? a whiteboard on zoom and they're going like this and lines yeah. going everywhere. And I'm like, illegible. <laughs> yeah, like, good Lord, how would anybody, even if I did understand it as they were teaching me through it, yeah. how could I actually 
extract anything from that and take it away, right? And so just bad experience, right? So again, put yourself in your client's shoes and say, okay, you know, not only am I am, one am I providing the right information, but I'm providing it in a way that's that's digestible. Is it a way that's that somebody can take this and and be able to implement it in their business and 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 benefit from it after the initial experience, right? Because I get the information intellectually, but I need it to stick with me. So right. can I go back and review my notes, or is there video I can watch, whatever that looks like? And it was funny because as I was watching the video that somebody else shared with me, I was just like, I, I that video doesn't help me at all. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yep. So anyway, I, I, when you mentioned that, you know, I think about a number of different ways that you can really set a bad experience uh, for a customer when it comes to not, not really understanding what it is, one, what they want and or need, right? Because I can sell something, but if it's not what my client wants or needs, if it's not going to solve a problem, it's not a, a valuable experience. Uh, but, you know, some of the ways you can improve that experience and make sure that you're you're really taking care of your clients. You can personalize the, the client experience, yeah. uh, whether that's, you know, in a retail environment, we used to train people to use their name, you know, use their first name and use it consistently throughout the customer interaction. Um, certainly that plays into any, uh, you know, service solution. Uh, you want to use the first name. I know we, you know, had people service uh, service providers in our homes could be the garage door, uh, you know, the, the turf we had installed, things like that. It wasn't Mr. Whitmore. It was like Eric. Right. And or, or yeah. they quantify that and say, Eric, or you prefer was Mr. Whitmore. And it was like somebody who takes the time to ask that question earns a lot of credibility with me. Yeah. Right. And j- just because they take the time to be conscientious about how I want to be addressed. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that that goes a long way in my eyes. Um, some of the things is that if this if the experience I spend a lot of time coaching with people in the mortgage and, and real estate industry. And one of the things that I see there, that experience for people can be, you know, you hear how bad buying a car is, right? Like that, you want to talk about bad, you know, the recipe for disaster or customer experience, put somebody, lock them in a room for eight hours to try and buy a car. That's, yeah. that's been there. Been there. not my idea of fun for sure, right? Yeah. So, um, and I, you know, I, I brag about the first, uh, I bought my first uh, Hummer H2 and, um I'm, my experience that that entire experience was 90 minutes. Wow! Uh, from from showing up on the lot to driving away with a car was a 90 minute experience. You know, it wasn't. It was very top of the line. It was very uh, it was super cordial, over the top. Like I felt like a celebrity, basically. And what was even more? It, it, I mean, it was like it was Mr. Whitmore in the entire conversation. You know, even even when I was talking to the finance manager and things like that. But um, uh, you know, the bottles of water, you know, the things, just the little things like that, that make that experience. Yeah. And, and, and I take it one step further in, in that um, it was all about, they were very, being very conscientious of our time. It was not, you know, fill this out and then fill this out again and do this. And, you know, it's like, everything was very streamlined. The entire process was very quick and rapid. Uh, it, it wasn't uh, long and drawn out. So, you know, just think about things like that. What do you want your customer experience to look like and how streamlined can you make that? And nowadays I would go so far as to, you know, particularly think about a doctor's office, a dentist office, um, um, uh, a lawyer's office. Right. Uh, When you you can fill out all those documents instead of sitting there, getting there a half an hour early and filling all that stuff out by hand, which by the my handwriting is atrocious. I don't know how anybody deciphers what I actually write down, but they send the documents to me the night before. Yeah. And I fill it out online. 
Right. And so it's all electronic. I fill it out. And when I show up to the appointment, I show up to the appointment and they're like, oh, you've got it all filled out online. Great. Okay. You're all set. And, and, and I, we've already got your, your insurance information. You got your, you know, stuff on file, all of the things. So, you know, how can we digitize and automate and, and improve that customer experience by doing some proactive things, right? So these are different ways that you can really help improve that customer experience and people who continue to operate the old fashioned way where it's just like, you know, fill out this form, we'll be right with you. I mean, I can't imagine that anybody enjoys that kind of an experience anymore at this point. And, and people know that there's better ways to engage. And so if you look at that and you think about, okay, all the different ways that I can actually improve this experience, um, I think it's really important. Then the last piece that I'd probably add to that would be make sure that you're open to feedback, right? Yeah. When, when you hear that people are complaining about their experience, whether it took too long or they didn't feel heard or, you know, um, um, they didn't quite get the feel that they were expecting or hoping for or whatever, then you should be willing to adjust accordingly. Right. So I think that's another thing is that you may not have it perfect when you get started in your business or, or at, you know, you may not be ideal now, but you're recognizing, Hey, I can offer a better customer experience by going through and analyzing that and taking that feedback. Now I can go back and actually can create a better solution. Yeah. And that's, I think that's probably the most important piece is them being willing to con continually look at your uh, customer experience and try to improve on it. You know, yeah. uh, one of the things I, I uh, and I, I do this with all aspects, but I think customer experience has got to be one of them for certain is that, um, uh, I am, uh, we, I prescribed to that concept of can I constant and never ending improvement. So mm -hmm. I'm always looking at my experience. I'm always looking at my, my, uh, what I'm providing and saying, okay, is this the best that I can do? Could I do it better? And if I could do it better, how would I do it better? And so I think that's another piece that you kind of add to that concept that, that when I'm taking the feedback too, I'm also looking at it myself and saying, is this the kind of experience that I would want my client to have when they engage with my business? Yeah, absolutely. Some really good points there. And I think what's interesting is, you know, sometimes the more successful you are, the greater you lose sight of that customer experience, right? So the bigger you get, right? Initially, you're just like, man, if I could just get a handful of customers, I'd be winning. And then you finally get that and you get more. And then all of a sudden, you have a steady flow, you've got steady revenue coming in, and you don't focus on that aspect aspect of your business as much. And so easy to lose sight of it. So I think, um, you know, as you talked about, you know, kind of thinking through that process and even if you can almost going through that process as if you're a customer, you know, sit in the waiting room and yes, see what exactly. that's like, what are the chairs like, you know, is there yeah. oh, quiet, we should have music playing, you know, going through that as close as you can, or at least, um, you know, talking to customers that have recently been through it and really taking that deep dive can really be helpful. Yeah. It makes me think of the whole undercover boss, uh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's like, like the extreme version. And, and yeah. you could. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it'd be amazing the insights you get from it. So absolutely. Particularly if if you could actually and, and this is actually this I would tie, uh, add this in there. This would tie back to, you know, one of the things we talk about often, which is the market dominating position. Right. Yep. And, uh, you know, I ask clients when we do our exercises, uh, our initial assessments, I should say, uh, we go through and I ask and I say, hey, if everybody knew exactly what you were trying to convey to your clients in the best way possible, right, all, all, everything was an ideal scenario, but your employees would say it exactly the way that you said it every time, how often do you think it happens that way? And I'll ask, and sometimes they're really honest with themselves and they're like, probably never or very yeah. seldom. Right. 
And, and, and it's, it's not because they don't know it's because we don't always take the time to, to reinforce that. Right. And so when you use your company culture correctly and you create that expectation, you, you can really kind of do that. But um, what's interesting is I, and you kind of using that whole undercover boss analogy, I, I wonder how many people would be dramatically surprised at how off their yeah. employees might be as far as what their expectation is. Like, I believe it looks like this. Yeah. In reality, when I see it firsthand, when people don't know who I am and I experience what I thought I built and realize that it's half of what I expected, that I'm like, ooh, man, yeah. we got some things we can work on, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think that I think that more often than not, if more if more uh, business owners were honest with themselves and did a real true assessment, I think they'd realize that they're probably not nearly as close to what they would think is an ideal experience as, as they may believe they are. Yeah. And you have to work really hard to get there, right? I mean, if you're yes, not maintaining absolutely. it, it naturally, it's like gravity pulling it down. You're, you're going to get away from that ideal state. So totally. Agree. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's talk about another way that uh, somebody could absolutely ruin their business. And that is uh, failing to adapt, right? And just kind of doing things the way we've always done them, staying stuck in the past, especially right now, um, totally a way to ruin your business. So tell us maybe a little bit more about that, Eric. Yeah, well, you know how passionate I am about that category. I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, you know when I first started, even as as a consultant before we made the pivot to my biz coaches, uh, you know one of the first things I told people is we should digitize and automate everything that we can without the anything that won't hurt the customer experience. Yeah, if there's any way for us to digitize and automate and not hurt the customer experience, and or it's uh, I should say it's accelerating and improving customer experience, we need to do it. We need to do it now. And I, I would venture to say that again, a lot of people will say, "Yeah, we should do that," and then you know I immediately remind them, "Like, yeah, well, we can shoot all over ourselves." But the reality is, right, <laughs> that we can you know, all day long, but the rea that's not going to improve your business, right? right. We, need, we need to make those changes. And I, I would add to that, if you're not making those changes today, for every business that's out there today, there's 600 and 600 some odd thousand new businesses that are created every year in the United States, right? So I don't know, break that down by 50 states. How many is that per state? Is that uh, 12,000? businesses per state that's how many per city right i mean start breaking it down how many so if i've if i'm a business owner today and there's all these new businesses being created today there's a really really strong chance that there's going to be a, a a competitor coming along the way and they're going to start their new business and they're going to do it in a way that's efficient that's organized that's that's whatever um it's more up to the current circumstances it's going to be you know, uh, using the latest and greatest technology, whatever, and they're going to pass you. And Absolutely. that's the thing that I try to get people to press upon. Yeah, it may have worked really well for the last 10, 15, 20 years. And that's great, except for, and, and it's actually, it's awesome because if you implement some of these things, you're going to accelerate beyond right. that. Yeah. Right. And leverage the technology uh, because you've got the embedded base, you've got the, the years of experience and all that. And that now let's incorporate that technology and really leverage it, because I guarantee you as a competitor that's opening sometime in the next few weeks, months, years, that's going to be 
side by side with you and taking your business left and right because they're providing a better customer experience, because they're be- providing better solutions, whatever it is that they're going to be able to do different or better, regardless of experience, because they're going to meet the customer where the customer's at today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like I said, it's as you know, it's it's as crazy as you know, I go to the doctor and I got to fill out all these forms before I go see the doctor, or I do it all the night before and it's all digitized. Yeah. Or, or, you know, they hand me a tablet and I check some boxes and I do an e-cig, right? And it's like, there, I'm done. And real simple transaction. I mean, there's so many different ways you can do that. And I constantly, and a lot of it is, it's a psychological. It's like, well, that's going to be a lot of work. Yeah. Yes, it will be. Uh, you know, uh, uh, repairing a failing business is going to be even more work. Uh, repairing a business that's about to go under is going to be a hell of a lot more work beyond that, right? Yeah. So, um, yes, there's always going to be something and there's always something that needs to be done. But the reality is, is that when you see these things uh, and you recognize them, you can choose to avoid them or you choose to adapt them. Uh, when you adapt them, you create the opportunity to be proactive and address it as you're ready to, right? Still build, start building a plan. Uh, whereas the competition comes along and they force the circumstance. And yeah. now you're, you've got to adapt regardless. And it's just, it's a mindset more than anything. And it's a mindset, like I've said before, many times that really frustrates the snot out of me because the, it, that's the piece that's going to, it's going to, um, it's going to leave a lot of small business and, and, and I'll, I'll add one more piece. You've heard me mention this before, the number of businesses that are, uh, that are owned by people of the baby boom generation, right? Baby yeah. boom generation. And they're retiring at a rate of, the statistics now are like 9,500 people a day. It's crazy. And wow. Of that percentage, depending on what number you're looking at, it's between 20 and 30% of those are small business owners. So just using that high level math, that's like two to 3,000 people a day, two to 3,000 small businesses a day that are looking to get out of their business. Yeah. Uh, and no offense to that category, but that seems to be a larger percentage of the people that are less willing to adopt new strategies, new structures, new processes. And in many cases, the employees that work for that owner are willing to try and jump in, but the owner is so set in their ways, right? Stuck in the past that they can't, you know, recognize that there's a better way or, you know, a more timely way to do things or, you know, and, and, and provide better solutions or whatever. So yeah. um, often, like I said, it's really just a psychological thing and we just need to help people figure that out. And it's, it's yes, it's going to require work, but it's no different than anything else you were trying to do in the beginning. And, and I think a lot of times people get in, they're like, okay, my business is set now. Yeah. And, you know, nothing's static, right? Everything's constantly changing. If, if anything we've learned over the last 20 years, um, that things are going to continue to change and evolve and we're going to have to continue to adapt and, and, I would say that anybody who's in a business needs to recognize that their entire, a, 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 an overarching piece of their entire business model means means that we need to be adapting all the time. Yeah. Heck, you don't even need to go back 20 years, go back three years. You know, I mean, that's yeah. the reality. It's that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't like right in your face. I mean, the, yeah. the pivot for every restaurant during COVID right. on a national scale, some more, you know, some by state, whatever, some more than others, but on a national scale, every restaurant owner had to make significant adjustments to their business model. Yeah. And, and yeah. again, it was regardless, they had to. And you said something that I think is important and worth reiterating, and that is 
sometimes the business owner, even if they're willing, they'll look at the scope of work it would take to modernize or revamp. And it's just so overwhelming. They just choose not to do it. And that's where you can kind of take a page out of, you know, agile project management and sprints and figure out, okay, let's just take one thing. Let's build a timeline, knock it out in, you know, four weeks, six weeks, whatever it is, finish that sprint. Then we move on to the next thing and we break it down in chunks. It's manageable and, and you can do it. So if you're maybe listening and feeling overwhelmed, you know, pick one thing, what's the biggest pain point or what's the easiest thing to change and start there and build that momentum. Right. Yeah. And what you find though, is it, and I'll add to that. And what you find is once you start implementing those changes, they come a little bit easier each time. Right. Yep. Right. Because when you're stuck in your ways, and this is just human nature, when you're stuck in your ways and you've never really adapted, you never really changed. And the first time you do it, like, oh, I have to yeah. do this. And it's like creating a new habit. Right. Yeah. But once you've done it once, the second time is not quite as hard. The third time is a little bit easier after that. And then it just becomes this routine. And it's, yeah. you know, I, I literally, I think back to my early days of my wireless career where we were opening stores all the time. Yeah. And you're, you know, like, uh, you get to a certain point, you're just like, this is such a beast. I don't even know where to start, right? And then yeah. you show, and, and eventually you get up down to, you just got a checklist. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is what we do next. This is what we do next. And I remember we'd bring people onto that new launch team and, you know, they're they're completely overwhelmed. They're like, oh my, what do I do? And I'm like, no, just follow this list. Boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom. boom. Yep. I mean, we're taking the time to, to, to lay this all out. And you could do the same thing, you know, with these yep. changes that you're talking about, right? Yep. Absolutely. Definitely ways to make it easier to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Well, another way, um, you know, a business owner can quickly ruin their business is mismanaging finances. And uh, there's a number of ways you can actually do that. But no matter how you mismanage your finances, it's always a one-way ticket to failure. So Eric, tell us a bit about that and maybe some of the pitfalls to avoid. Yeah, if we, um, and, and I, I'm sure that everybody's always heard, you know, you, you've heard the numbers, how how staggering it can be the number of businesses that fail. Yeah. Um, the number one reason uh, is is um, lack of capital. Uh, the number two reason is uh, inconsistent cash flow. Yeah. I so, I mean, it's, it's and, and which represent almost, I want to say it's between 57 and, and 60% of business failures are those two, right? Those two alone. So it's finances is by far and away the number one reason why most businesses struggle or fail. And, and a lot of it has to do with just, um, I would say the first thing is, you know, most people don't do a business plan when they start a business. Um, if they do do a business plan, they probably don't have the business acumen or that better, better yet. They don't have the financial acumen, um, not necessarily accounting, but just the, the general sense of building a budget for yeah. a business. I mean, hell, most people don't do a good job of managing their personal budget. Right. So, yeah. you know, if you if you struggle on a personal level, this is ironic, but this is where this is where I joke about how being a life coach and being a business coach are very similar. If you have an issue with money management on a personal level in your personal account, you're not going to do any better when you're, you know, if if you if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year and you struggle to manage your money. If your business is doing a million dollars a year, you're going to have the same problems. They're just going to be bigger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you have more commas on it, doesn't make it easier. No. <laughs> uh, and we often think that, you know, by having more resources available to us, we'll be able to manage through that. And that's not, it's, it's habits. It's, right. it's yeah. how you manage your, so that's one of the big problems. So having resources, having people to help you make those intelligent decisions 
about how you spend your money. It's not about giving up control to somebody else. It's just about being intelligent about how you make your decisions and and giving yourself the resources that are available to a business. I mean, the, the reason that every corporation, larger corporation has a CFO is to help keep the business in check and make sure that they stay online with the budgets that they set up for. And they have an accounting team to record how well they did and then yeah. review that, right? Yeah. And then make strategic financial decisions going forward. So there's an entire process for it. The problem is a small business owner says, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the experience. I don't have the knowledge because I don't know accounting, right? A lot of people don't have that financial background. It's a huge advantage that I had in my career. Yeah. Uh, just having that general insight and knowledge. Um, and, and I think that that's probably the biggest challenge and why those companies, uh, the, we hear all these companies that struggle and fail is because they didn't have the insight and then they chose not to get that insight. Yeah, right. right? I mean, if you didn't, I, you know, if you, if you didn't know how to do marketing, you'd go find a marketing person to do the marketing for you. Yeah. If you don't know accounting, you get an accounting person to do accounting for you, right? Now, that doesn't mean a bookkeeper, by the way. Bookkeepers are great. Those are really valuable. They keep all the information that they record all the transactions. But what you need is a strategic person who looks at your finances and says, hey, you know, and, and this could be actually really simple. I love uh, Anthony Robbins does a, a bit on his and whether it's personal or, or, or in your business, he talks about having the different buckets and what you do with the money. So let's just say for the sake of argument, high level, get a business brings in uh, a million dollars in revenue. Well, the, of that million dollars of revenue that comes in, uh, you know, you have 50% cost of goods sold, right? To, to be able to provide the product and solution that you, you so you, you're generating uh, $500,000 in gross profit. And then let's say you operate on a 20% net margin, it means you have, uh, it means you're, you're pulling $200,000 out of the business, which means you run the business on $300,000. So your expenses to operate the business are three hundred thousand. So five hundred thousand for your product, three hundred thousand for the expenses. You operate on a two hundred thousand dollar profit margin. That's actually really good, particularly for a business that size. Uh, most people real think that they can um, they'll get much higher than that. They're probably not accounting for things. So when I hear somebody say, "Oh, I can get a thirty percent margin, forty percent margin, profit margin," I'm like, "Nope, it, you're you're destined for failure because you don't know what you're doing. You're not accounting for something." somewhere along the way, right? If you're in the 15 to 20% range, you're in a good spot. If you're less than 15%, you're in a very lean business model. Restaurants are very common in that area. Um, and you're you're going to struggle because you don't have the available resources. Um, and so now take that 20%, that $200,000. Now you say, okay, that's the owner's salary. Mm, no, not really. You got to pay taxes uh, on those profits. You have to, um, you should be budgeting for, and one of the things you, I was going to mention when you were talking about getting stuck in the past and, yeah. you know, uh, doing things to improve the business, whether it's digitizing and automating or, you know, like, for instance, uh, buying tablets to introduce into the business or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we don't have the money for it. Well, you make it $200,000 a year, you can set aside $10,000 a year, $15,000 a year to improve the business. Right. You know, there's a certain percentage of the business amount of the money that you're making that should roll back into your business. Yeah. The two the two things that I hear people say all the time um, that they don't have money for is they don't have money for marketing. They don't have money to improve, uh, to improve or um, add new things to the business or whatever. Right. That should be an allocation out of those profits. So out of that two hundred thousand dollars, after you pay the tax, actually before you pay the taxes, you should set money aside for 
capital acquisition, right? The or, uh, capital, sorry, uh, capital expenditure, things you might need to spend for your business. And maybe it's just a set aside, right? It's just a, 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 some money you set in an account that you use for later. Um, and then the other thing you set money aside is for, um, um, completely lost my train of thought, but <laughs> right. So um, you got the, the capital expenditure and then um, um, what was the other thing I just said? Sorry, I'll come back to you. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. It'll come back to me. But that, I mean, by not setting that money aside and, and having it available to you when you need it, then, then you're like, well, I'm, I, I don't have it. I don't have it. And I'm like, I mean, you have your up and down years, yeah. but when the capital is not available to you and you're not setting it aside and you're spending every penny that you're bringing in, that's, 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 talk, that's your recipe for disaster. I mean, that's, you're definitely going, going to put yourself out because there's right. going to be, you need the rainy day fund and things like yeah. that. Right? Yeah. Certainly failing the plan is an aspect of mismanaging finances. Right. And so I think that's, that's something that, you know, I think people, when you're mismanagement, you think like embezzling or things like that, but really it could just be not having a plan, not having a budget, not tracking your cash flow, right? All those sorts of things that you mentioned. So great point. Well, another uh, another way that uh, you can easily ruin your business is by ignoring your marketing, uh, basically ensuring that nobody knows what your business is or what you do, right? And so marketing, very important. And uh, I think oftentimes gets neglected or um, if it is being done, maybe it's not being done very well. So maybe tell us a little bit about the role that marketing plays in uh, in your business. Yeah, so that was the other thing and I, I just lost my place on it. <laughs> I said there was two areas is that business owners, they're like, oh, I don't have the money for that. I'm like, how do you not have the money for that? That's like a primary thing, right? So reinvesting back into the business for capital acquisitions and, and things like that. But in addition to that is a marketing budget. Yeah. And that, you know, wh what percentage that should be? Well, if you're in a new growth build, um, you should have like 20% of your resources set aside for a marketing budget, which is huge. That's a massive a budget. I mean, most people couldn't afford a 20%. But in the beginning, when you're small and you're growing, you need to get your wor the word out, right? I mean, outside of somebody who's got a franchise, and, and let's assume you bought one of the better franchises, uh, and you know my beliefs on franchises. We could do a whole show yeah. on franchises, by the way. We should. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, one of the opportunities with uh, a brand new business is nobody knows who you are. You might have right. a great product or service, but if nobody knows who you are, it, you don't have a business. Right. So uh, that's that's a big challenge. And so if you don't have money allocated for marketing, how do you expect to grow the business? Well, right? and, and sorry to interrupt, but that going back to your, your comment earlier about having a business plan is that's one of the things that people don't put into the business plan or maybe they way under budget and, under and all budget. Of a sudden they realize, man, uh, you know, I get into this and I open the doors and nobody's coming in. I, I got to spend a lot more on marketing than I thought. And, and now your whole forecast, your initial capital, all of that. Is is you know kind of out the window because you didn't plan effectively from the beginning. So just well, kind of bring those two concepts back together. Absolutely, and I'll, I'll take it one step further. So when I started my biz coaches, I started working on. I, I figured, okay, well, we're going to do digital marketing. That's not really expensive. It won't cost a ton of money, and I I should be able to do that on I don't know fifteen hundred dollar a month ad ad campaign. Uh, well. I don't know when the last time you was, you looked at, uh, you know, spending some money on pay-per-click or something like that. But if I wanted to do pay-per-click in the business coaching arena, I wouldn't even scratch the surface. 
Mm. Unless I was so niche down, which is why one of the reasons why they tell you to niche down right. uh, in your uh, products and service solutions. But um, because I couldn't, if I did it on a, on a national scale to try and promote my biz coaches, I mean, if I don't have at least an absolute minimum $5,000 a month budget and, uh, or, or realistically, I need about a $10,000 a month budget. Yeah. Right. So a $10,000 a month budget to actually be able to make an impact for the keywords that I want to go after on a pay-per-click campaign. So, um, you know, when I figured that out, I'm like, Ooh, we got to figure out some other ways to market this business. Cause that's not, (laughs) it's like, right. Right. So my, my revenues are barely $10,000 a month. I can't, I can't can't spend that, you know, in the early days, I'm like, no, this isn't going to fly. So how do we, how do, you know, how do we compensate for that? But that's a prime example of, you know, not budgeting correctly. I did, you know, not having to do the due diligence. Um, you know, I figured, oh, I could run. I mean, I were, I was literally thinking back, you know, uh, probably 15, 18 years ago, whenever I had uh, my wireless business, um, you know, we, we run some ads. I probably spent $2,000 a month on advertising. Yeah. And, uh, and that was like the, um, uh, these print magazines and the coupon clipper and, I don't know, whatever you would normally do for a little retail environment, retail shop. I think I was probably in four different um, uh, shopping periodicals, basically. Right. And my my total ad spend per month is two, maybe twenty five hundred dollars a month. Uh, and and that was more than enough to suffice for multiple stores, not just one, but multiple stores. So fast forward, um, you know, I, I'm launching my biz coaches and I'm thinking I'm going to do digital. That's even more cost effective. And, and, and then I look at it and I'm like, yeah, but because it's so competitive in the business coaching space, the, the cost to, to be able to build a campaign is so much more expensive than I expected. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, and, and I think that happens to a lot of people, you know, somebody will tell them, oh no, $500, uh, SEO work. That's another good one. You know, it's like, uh, people are paying for SEO work. Well, that's great. I, I, that's definitely something you should be doing, but you also need to know that that's a six month to a year play before you really see any benefit from SEO work. Yeah. Right. And that's assuming you're do, it's being done correctly. Right. So, I mean, you're outsourcing to somebody that's doing that and they're tying keywords into your ads, uh, not just your ads, but more importantly, your on your website, your copyright on your website is done in a way that'll, um, you know, generate that, 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 that traffic and, and bring you that organic traffic that SEO is supposed to bring you. But yeah. if your site's not optimized for that, you're not going to benefit from it. Yeah. Um, so there, anyway, there's a lot that goes into it. When you talk about marketing specifically, it's one, it's an allocated budget, um, which is very important. But uh, in addition to that, it's um, you, you have to do your due diligence, figure out what you, um, you know, what's it going to cost for that? And maybe find the most cost effective way for you to get your message out there and then build on that. But you have to be continuing yeah. evaluate your marketing, what's working, what's not working. I, I would say another piece to this, not just ignoring your marketing, but worse yet, not knowing what is and is not working. Yeah. Right. You may be spending money on advertising, but because you don't know, you don't know the lifetime value of a customer. So because you don't know the lifetime value of a customer, you don't know what you're willing to pay let's just say you use 10% as your, as your marketing budget. Well, if the lifetime value of a customer is, I don't know, $2,500, then you can spend up to $250 and it still makes sense. You're still within budget. You could spend $250 to generate a client, not a lead, but a client. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and if it's uh, let's say you have a five to one ratio to take a lead to a client, meaning you close at 20%, 
that would mean that every client at te- at, at uh, one fifth or twenty uh, percent of two fifty is uh, fifty bucks. So you could pay fifty bucks to a lead, right? If you if you if if, if a client's yeah. worth twenty five hundred dollars to you, right? Uh, on average, a client's worth twenty five hundred dollars. You pay fifty dollars a lead. Now, knowing that, I could build a campaign around that, right? Without that knowledge, without understanding, I'm building a campaign blind. Yeah. You know, so, conversion, right? All those sorts of things. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it, it's not necessarily just ignoring marketing, but it's also not really making marketing a, an important component of my business and truly understanding all the nuances of marketing and how valuable that is. And working with a really experienced, knowledgeable uh, marketing professional is extremely important. Anybody who tries to do it on their own is it, they're, you know, the old days are gone. People are not going to be able to get away with that stuff. There's too many really smart i mean that's that's why you'll see companies that that get ridiculous returns and things like that is because they know how to leverage and and, and use the marketing they've allocated money for their budget and they've they've invested correctly and they know yeah. how to maximize it yeah and I, was, I was just gonna say just as you were talking one of the things i thought of uh, was when the business is doing well, right, it may be tempting to pull back on marketing, but there's there's a ripple effect, right? And just just like you mentioned, you know, when you start, it takes a while to get that traction to to gain awareness, right, and all the steps in the marketing funnel. But um, it's the 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 same is also true once you have the awareness. If you're not continually spending money to maintain that position in the market, then that awareness starts to fade, and then all of a sudden you see you know, less traffic, less conversion, less cut, right? So it's it's one of those things that, you know, you may be tempted to reduce it in the good times. And the reality is that's going to create the lean times because you're not investing, you know, some some portion, right, of your revenue every month toward that, so. Absolutely. And and I actually uh, add one piece to that as well. I mean, that's, that's, that's um, the exact same thing that we used to tell our salespeople. Right. They would do they would do activities we call them marketing activities to generate their own leads, right? The, yeah. We we said that hey the business is going to bring so much traffic to the store, you know that you'll be able to benefit from. But there's you should also be doing your own marketing, your own have your own activities that you're doing to generate leads, and you know whether that was following up with existing customers or whatever that was. But one of the things that we noticed that the ones who were consistently successful yeah. as sales producers had activity they did on a regular basis all the time. They didn't just do it from time to time. And then whenever we would say, hey, we noticed your sales are down 20%. What's going on? The store manager would be like, well, we really haven't been doing our marketing activities. Yeah, right. Like it's it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, it was like with with 100% accuracy, I could say, when was the last time you did your marketing activity? And they'd be like, uh, yeah, we, we've been letting it slip the last month or two. And yeah. it didn't happen immediately. Like if I stopped doing it today, I'd still see the benefits for weeks afterwards. Right. But if you went back and you you connected the dots going looking backwards, you'd realize that about probably about a month or two ago, we got lazy with it. And then we stopped doing it. And then we literally like didn't do it at all. And now all of a sudden, lo and behold, two months later, we're, our numbers are way down. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not intentional, you're setting yourself up to fail, whether it's marketing, the customer experience, right, all the things we've talked about. So it's a great point. Well, let's talk about the last one, which is um, uh, neglecting employees and employee engagement, right? And really, that's a recipe for high turnover. And uh, we know how detrimental that can be to a business. So maybe talk about that, um, the importance of focusing on our employees and employee engagement. 
Yeah, so I th- and I think this can go a lot of different directions. I mean, from a from a uh, super negative perspective, <laughs> uh, not taking care of your people or assuming that they're gonna they should do it because it's their job. Uh, that's so. It's I, it, what's crazy about this is I think through that analogy and I oh I can't I can't help but remember 1994. I'm a freshman in college. And, uh, and, and I'm sitting through management 101, uh, my, my, uh, my second semester of freshman college is management 101. And the, uh, the topic that we're talking about is, um, employee management, uh, managing employees. And they, they talked extensively about the difference between management and leadership. And the, the, it was so obvious to me. I'm like, Oh, why would anybody? And they were talking about the old style of managing versus yeah new style of managing. This is 1994, right? The old, old style of managing was do as I say, not as I do, you know, and all, I'm like, I'm like, people actually did that at one time. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was prescribed yeah, management yeah. style. Right. <laughs> that was what scared me is it was yeah. apparently a prescribed management style, right. but um, it made zero sense that we even had to have a, a class like that. But I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Anyway, my point was is that, that, uh, I, I think back to that class and I realized over the years, I mean, I, I can tell you time and time again, the companies that are su- successful, the, the organizations, the teams that are successful have a really good leadership strategy. And that strategy is take care of your people, your people. Right. You, right. And, and I, I don't think that that, I don't believe that to be like, uh, like, like, this should be this yeah, angelic music playing. It was like, oh, wow. I was like, and yeah. I was like, how do you not realize that? But I, I, I will continue to be surprised every time I engage with somebody. And the first thing out of their mouth is, well, they should just be happy to have a job. Or they, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, do you realize how many people are walking away from their jobs right now because they work for idiots that have that kind of an attitude? Right. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, that's that's why people people don't feel valued and they're not going to work for somebody they don't feel valued for it that's yeah. not just that's not just a, a millennial thing that's not a gen z thing that's i mean that's I, I wouldn't work for somebody who didn't appreciate my what my contributions were right and i'm gen x and 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 i can tell you that i heard my dad i remember my dad growing up and and his frustrations of something similar and he was a baby boomer so i mean yeah. that that's 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 consistent across all generations over the last, I don't know, 60, 80 years, whatever that is. Um, you know, the reality is, is nobody wants to work for somebody who doesn't appreciate them. And often this attitude of they're dumb and I have to tell them what to do is really, it's, it's a completely misconstrued concept. Yeah. And people, employees, generally speaking, generally speaking, want to do the right thing. We just don't provide the right environment for them to do that in many cases. I'm not yeah. saying always. Right. I'm just saying in many cases. Now, certainly there's there's your 10% that are going to do stupid stuff no matter what, you know, they're they're going to be idiots and they're going to do dumb, dumb crap and it is what it is. And there's going to be, you know, your top uh, 20-ish, maybe 30% that are going to do the right thing just because they're going to do the right thing because that's who they are. Yeah. Um, and then, but the, but the difference is, is that middle. Right. That group in the middle, whatever that whatever that's 40, 50, 60 percent in the middle, they're the ones that are influenced one way or the other. So if leadership's crappy, they're gonna be crappy. If leadership's good, they'll lean to the good side and you'll get more out of it. And that's when you get the better productivity numbers. That's when you get more people hanging around longer because they're like, Oh, it's not, it's actually a pretty decent job. These people are cool. 
I don't even like my job, but yeah. my boss is really cool. You know, I don't love what I'm doing. It's not that I don't like it. I don't love it, but my boss is really cool and I enjoy working with him. And yeah. you know, and I, you know, you and I both know people leave job, uh, don't leave jobs. They leave, they leave managers. leaders. Yeah. Yeah. yeah managers. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, kind of bring that full circle. I mean, if I, if I told my story again about the success that we had uh, at our previous employer and the, the sales success that we had over a two and a half year span of time after I introduced the success principles, or uh, I took the, the 67 success principles that I was taught at that uh, workshop that I went to yep. back in 2013, 14, whenever it was. And um, uh from that, I came away with this concept. I'm like, we should do things differently. And and when we were having so much success in our numbers, we were just beating everybody. By, it was like the best of the best of the best. We're beating everybody by so much. And it wasn't just within the organization as a as a as a company. We were one of the best. We were the the best dealer in the nation that during that period of time. Right. And T-Mobile was taking business left and right from Verizon and AT&T. We gross gains. We had all those conversations about how we're okay. we were doing so well relative to many other people. And everybody would ask me, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, you know what? About three years ago, I stopped talking about sales. And I started talking about developing better leaders. And I invested my time. Not, we still talked about sales, right? We still had our conversations, but we started talking about being better leaders. Yeah. And when I invested my time and energy in making my people, creating a better environment for my people and, and showing them a way to be better people, right? Better leaders, better people. The business took off in a way that I couldn't possibly have ever fathomed. Right. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and I, and it wasn't just one of my markets. It was all of my markets. Uh, I remember one month it was, um, it was August. I remember it was August specifically is my birthday. And I was actually out of the business for two weeks. And in that particular month, my, my, my markets came in, in the stack ranking one through six, we had like 21 markets at the time. And my guys come in one through six. So it wasn't just one of my markets. It was doing awesome or even two or three. It was literally all of them we're crushing it at a level that nobody was competing against. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I, I mentioned that to say that, that, that the, the key is, is, is recognizing that um, it's how I invested in my people is what we got that return. Not, right. not, you know, whipping the thing and saying, Hey, go sell more phones, go sell more phones. It was, it was literally investing into my people and, and, and doing that. And, and I think that when you read the other stories and you, you hear about the, the other companies that have similar types of ex success. They have a certain culture of, of uh, um, improving, helping people, you know, growing the organization, reinvesting in their people. I think that's probably one of the biggest opportunities. How do we uh, consciously setting money aside to reinvest in your people? Right. Yeah. Not just a party, but invest in your people, help them be better. Yeah. And in doing that, you, you see, um, massive success and, and, and the kind of, the kind of uh, return that you can't quantify quite honestly in dollars. Right. And cents. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's a big piece. And um, you know, I, I, I think that's my biggest, I, I get on soapbox for hours on that one, but the, I think that that's one of the biggest pieces when it comes to employee engagement is getting people to understand if you invest in your people, you're not going to have a people problem. Right. Right. And, and I'll, I'll steal from uh, Alex or right. It's like, Hey, an A player, doesn't play for a B coach. 
True. And he's yep. certainly never going to consider playing for a C coach. Right. Right. So if you don't have top notch leaders, if you don't have top quality leaders, high ethical standards, you know, does the right thing, takes care of their people, you're not going to attract the best people. Right. You're going to be trying to run a business with a bunch of knuckleheads in many cases, or at yep. least people who are not the best uh, of the, the, the skill set out there. Yep. And, and so, you know, if you've got a C leader in a role, um, you're, you're not going to, you're going to, you'll be lucky to get C employees. Yeah. And, right. and I think that's another thing that a lot of people lose sight of, you know, lots of times we have um, I've had conversations with boners and I'm like, Hey, you have somebody in a leadership role. Who's really not getting it done. And everybody else knows they're not getting it done. Yeah. So the worst part now is, is that you've got to, you have to make a change yeah. or nobody will respect you as the owner. Right. Yep. Not only do they know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not only do they not respect the boss, but now they don't respect you as the owner because yeah. you're not doing the appropriate thing that you need to do. Right. And you lose all credibility by not doing the change that you need to change, that you need to make. Yeah. No, and I, I, I think it's worth noting too. I mean, everything you said spot on, but just to bring it home with some contemporary examples that maybe weren't a factor, you know, 10 or 15 years ago where you could just demand employee loyalty and, you know, all those sorts of things. Uh, one is people will just leave. I mean, they'll just walk, walk out the door and not have another job lined up because they know they can Uber or Grubhub or whatever yeah. and, and make ends meet until they find somewhere that's going to treat them the way they want. Right. So that that's a factor that didn't exist 15 years ago. And then the other thing is you've got, you know, all of all of these, you know, Gen Z employees. Right. And they're seeing these mass layoffs, which we've talked about in depth on, on some of our early episodes. And they're looking at, well, the, the companies don't have any loyalty toward the employees. So why would I ever be loyal to an employer? Right. So to your point, they're maybe loyal to leaders, but loyalty to a company that that doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, it's very rare and, and maybe you can achieve it if you do the things Eric's talking about. But the reality is it, it's a very different labor market and there's more options than there've ever been for making money in the gig economy and all those sorts of things that you have to think about and, and you have to treat your employees that much better. Agreed. Yeah, 100% dead on. And that's, and I think that that's really, uh, that if there's, if there's a message there to be heard, it is very clearly the, the job market is and will be, will be substantially different in the near future. Um, yeah. You know, now, I mean, we haven't even touched on, but you could incorporate the concept of AI into this whole conversation. Right. And, and the digitizing and automating that I was talking about. Um, now you add in, you know, the issues of, of, of AI. Right. And, yeah. and how, how I can automate and literally have some of the basic roles, the most entry level roles and responsibilities um, offset by artificial intelligence. And, and, yeah. and you know, I, 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 I almost as an owner, I'm almost handicapping myself by not making the effort to understand and implement those types of things into my business, because I know I'm dealing with a shrink, shrimping, shrinking labor market. Right. Yeah. Fewer and fewer people are going to be willing to do basic jobs for lack for lousy pay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember what our um, what uh, minimum wage was five years ago exactly, but I know it's got to be pretty damn close to twice what it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. Um, that in itself is is dramatically changing, you know, the way yeah. that people are going to do business and and for every Excuse small me. business owner. 
they have to understand that they they are are the only they're they're the ones they're they're the biggest employers. And we would yeah. talk about like um, Meta and all these other companies, and they're laying off thousands and thousands of employees and everything like that. And they have hundreds of thousands of employees. But when you collectively add up the number of people, um, the 32 million people are employed by small businesses. The vast majority of them are small businesses, meaning they right. have less than. I think 100 employees or maybe 50 employees. I can't remember what the ter- determination yeah. is. But, um, so it, you're talking smaller companies right. that don't have the massive resources that those bigger companies have. Yeah. Um, and so we have to find a way to be more effective at a small business level to be able to retain the best talent. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be costly, to your point. Time, no. time, no. investing in your people, You know, yeah. investing in a personal way, right? Those are things that don't cost a lot of money, but go a long way. Absolutely. So, well, awesome. Well, hey, a lot of great topics today. Um, let me just recap a couple of action items that our, our listeners or, or viewers can take with them. Really, the first thing was make sure you constantly prioritize exceptional service and customer satisfaction. Um, that That's one of the biggest things that you can do that if you neglect is going to be just totally detrimental to your business. Um, you have to embrace adaptability. So staying informed on industry trends and other things that are happening around you, uh, making sure that you're adapting to new technology, that's going to keep you ahead of the competition. Uh, managing your finances wisely uh, with robust tracking and budgeting and, and really you know, making sure you understand what your you know, KPIs are and, and really monitoring those uh, consistently. Uh, investing in effective marketing strategies to reach your target audience and uh, continually reinvesting into them, right? We talked about that. And then treating your employees better than you want them to treat your customers. And that's a great way to keep them engaged, keep them happy and reduce turnover. So um, a lot of great stuff, Eric. Appreciate it. Uh, anything that you want to spotlight that's happening over at My Biz Coaches before we wrap up today? No, no, I'll just continue to tease the uh, the new announcements that are coming here. So Nice. Awesome. Well, always great to hang out with you, Eric. And uh, for those watching and listening, we appreciate it. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Biz Coach Show. See you later.